Hello, money makers and money savers. Welcome to episode seven, Understanding Your Mortgage. I'm your host, Dustin Dubé, and this is Finance Fundamentals, where we learn how to stop working so hard for our money and learn how to make it work harder for you. This podcast is entirely based on my experiences and thoughts. I am not a financial advisor, and the thoughts and expressions you hear on this show are my own and are not reflective of my employers, past or present, nor my guests. I am not liable for investments that you make or strategies that you implement upon listening to my show. Now, back to the show. So in the last episode, we chatted about the home buying process, but what we did not talk about were mortgages. I know many of you are looking to buy homes in the next couple of years, or maybe you've already purchased a home. I have a great guest coming on soon to discuss the real estate process, but prior to that, I wanted to talk to you about the biggest concern most of you have, securing a mortgage and understanding your mortgage. My fiance and I bought a house back in 2019 and recently refinanced February of 2021, so I'm pretty familiar with the process. Our friends Adam and Kelsey just closed. Our friends Shannon and Dan just closed. Congrats, everyone. And we know plenty of others that are going to be securing homes soon. But buying a house is not right for everyone. Live within your means. It is a huge responsibility and a lot to maintain. If you're in a transient state in your life, renting could be the right choice. When you buy a home, the roof could need repairs, a pipe could burst, and you can no longer call the landlord. This is your responsibility. First, a little history lesson for you. Mortgages have helped millions of people all over the world purchase homes. The modern mortgage you and I know has only been around since the late 1930s, but the idea of the mortgage has been around a lot longer. The word mortgage actually comes from the Latin words where mort means death and gage means pledge. So a mortgage is a dead pledge. Kind of funny. It refers to the idea that the pledge died once the loan was repaid, and also the idea that the property was dead or forfeited if the loan was not repaid. Mortgages are actually mentioned in English common law documents that take you back as far as 1190, and the documents illustrate the beginning of a basic mortgage system. The idea of a mortgage started in England and moved throughout the Western world from 1190 onward. In the late 1800s and early 1900s, America's waves of immigrants increased the need for mortgages and affordable property. Unfortunately, mortgages at the turn of the century were completely different from those that we know today. In the early 1900s, homeowners typically had to pay a 50% down payment with a five-year amortization period. This meant that those who bought a house or property typically already had a lot of money saved up. And if you were buying a $100,000 home, you'd have to put down 50 grand and pay off the remaining 50 plus interest within five years. Kind of ridiculous when you think about it in terms of today. This increased the likelihood of default and mortgages were structured kind of differently than what we know. On a five-year mortgage, homeowners would pay interest-only payments for the five-year term and then at the end of the five years, they would face a balloon payment with the entire principal of the loan. Kind of crazy. This system wasn't perfect, but it did provide homes and properties to millions of Americans that were immigrating here. However, once the Great Depression hit, Mortgages would never be the same again. During the Depression, lenders had no money to lend. Borrowers didn't have any money to pay for these hard-to-find loans anyway. 
The FHA, or the Federal Housing Administration, was created in 1934 and was built to protect lenders and reduce lending risk. Since lenders had become extremely cautious about lending since the Great Depression, it was severely hindering economic growth and the ability to get a home. And the FHA solved this by protecting lenders and reducing the risk of borrower default on loans. And so to do that, the FHA had to create a number of valuable mortgage services. This is where the 30-year mortgage, for example, came to play. And it reduced the down payment required on new home sales. Fannie Mae is the nickname for the Federal National Mortgage Association, FNMA. You'll not really hear anyone refer to it that way, but it was created in 1938 in order to increase the amount of money available to borrowers using for mortgage securitization. Today, mortgages are actually more difficult to obtain than they were before the Great Recession. Buyers need to be educated on terms, avoid predatory lending. Did you see the movie The Big Short? Special shout out to listener Kim D. from Maine. Kim noted, I'd like to hear somebody talk to those that are first-time homebuyers. I see a generation drowning in student debt and wanting to buy homes, but they're way above their means. Even though these folks think they can afford the mortgage payments, they will be quote-unquote housebroke or just a paycheck away from disaster if the furnace dies or their well goes dry. Kim, you brought something to light that is all too recent for me. I went through the home mortgage process recently, 2019, my fiance and I purchased our home in a pre-pandemic world. We're part of a subset of people called dinks. And before you think it's an insult, it means dual income, no kids. And we are both owners on the mortgage application on the deed to the house, fortunate to not have student loans, but I'll get to your question in a few minutes, Kim. So let's talk a little bit about the process. It happens incredibly fast. You found the home you like, you secure the loan, the lenders all seem the same, they all promise you the best rates, and you can even undercut them by sending them term sheets from competitors, forcing them to offer you lower terms. It's kind of a game. Most have critical algorithms that include things like your age, location, income, value of the home, and a variety of other factors. The US government does you one favor while applying for mortgages. FICO scores, or Fair Isaac Corporation scores, ignore inquiries made in the 30 days prior to scoring lending. So if you find a loan within 30 days, the inquiries won't affect your scores while you're rate shopping, so you can go for as many rates as you'd like. So when it comes to credit scores, we'll talk about these in more detail another time, but you should understand the basics. Two different types of credit score hits. The first is something called a soft hit, these are small views, such as your bank pulling an updated score, or maybe an employer doing an initial screen on you. They don't really have impacts on your score. Hard scores are where mortgages fall in. You're shopping for credit, homes, cars, credit card applications. These will cause your score to dip for a period of time. Overall, inquiries only account for about 10% of your credit score, so I wouldn't worry too much about this. The most important thing is credit history. So back to our story. We discussed with a couple of lenders that our agent recommended. We chose a rate that we thought was best for us. And in October of 2019, we secured a pretty solid rate of 3.85% for a fixed 30 year. Today, 3.85 is not that competitive, but at the time it was. We were actually approved for loans almost double the asking price of the house that we had in mind. Does that mean we look for a more expensive home? No. This is where we chose to live within our means and took a loan that we thought was appropriate and affordable. Okay, so like I said in the last episode, you put an offer in a house, you win. This is exciting, but the fun stuff comes. Inspections, closing, coordinating your move, closing costs. At some point, you have to question, 
is there something unfavorable in my mortgage term sheet? Most reputable mortgage companies won't try to sneak a fast one by you, but if they did, would you ever even know? There's dozens of documents coming at you, you feel a bit pressured, your wrist is sore and burning from signing and signing. So we should discuss how home mortgages work and really what they are. It's a pretty complicated industry, but we'll try to look at it more simply. At the heart of it, you are opening a loan. What is the loan secured by? It's secured by real estate. The value of your home is your collateral. You don't pay, the bank forecloses on you and it goes to auction or they sell it outright to somebody else to get their money back. So let's talk about a couple examples here. You need a form of transportation for work. You don't wanna to commit to a car. You're not one for biking. So let's go with an electric scooter. They're kind of all the rave here in Charlotte. You borrow money from your cousin, Steve, to buy the scooter. Thanks, Steve. The scooter's $300 and Steve agrees, but Steve is not going to give you interest-free money because Steve is a finance fundamental loyalist. He wants you to pay him back in one year at 5% interest. If you don't pay or you default, he takes the scooter for himself. Kind of that collateral that we talk about. You can agree to the terms. You can shop it out with another friend or family member. Naturally, over the course of the year, you'll be paying back more due to interest. So instead of 12 payments at 25 bucks a pop, you'll pay 5% more or 26.25. This is a very basic loan. Unfortunately, mortgages are not this simple. Let's focus on a 30-year mortgage since most homeowners, especially first-time homebuyers, are going to be tackling this. 30 years, specific interest rate, monthly payments that are amortized over the 30-year period. So you've heard me say amortization a couple times. It's basically what the mortgage is built upon. So now you're looking at a mortgage, you're confused upon the sole principle of what it's built upon. Kind of lovely, isn't it? Okay, so let's get back to the scooter. You pay Steve in equal payments. Remember the $26.25 we talked about. You write him a check every month until the term is complete. Now the opposition to this would be that you would pay Steve back in entirety at the end of the term, so you would pay him the $300 and the interest owed in one lump sum that balloon payment that I talked about earlier. Now with amortization, it's a little different. You pay off a tad of the financed asset, such as the scooter or the house, and some of the interest every month. This is why those of you that have mortgages or student loans may notice that the amount of the loan, the principal, at the origination on your payment is close to nothing, and almost the entire payment goes to interest. And as time gradually progresses, the balances start to flip, and your payment covers more of the principal and less of the interest. At the end of the term period, you've paid off the loan and have paid interest to the lender. So why do they amortize? If you bought a $300,000 house and you didn't amortize, well then you need to be saving your pennies for the next 30 years and pay off the lender in full plus interest at the end. Not ideal for you and doesn't exactly provide the lender with the warm fuzzies that you'll follow through with your end of the bargain 30 years from today and there'd be really no way to hold you accountable until the end of the term period. So you'd be living rent-free in your house for 30 years. Doesn't really make sense. So let's say you bought a $300,000 home, and you secure an interest rate of 3% over 30 years. You will owe $1,265 monthly. Keep in mind that doesn't really include anything you'll likely put into escrow. Like I said, escrow is a legal arrangement where the mortgage company or an independent third party, such as an escrow agent, will hold large sums of money until a specific condition is met. 
such as taxes or a period of time being over. In real estate, that usually means the buyer will lump in property taxes, homeowners insurance, and a variety of other things. HOA fees are not covered in escrow and need to be considered externally. Don't confuse escrow and earnest money. Earnest is a good faith deposit that shows the seller you're serious about the purchase. Okay, so now let's get back to Kim's question. The student debt crisis is horrendous. It is stopping young people from being successful in purchasing a home, and every month that you rent, you aren't really building your net worth. Rent has a time and a place, but eventually it's time to settle the dust and plant some roots. Now, like I said, just because you've been approved for a seven or $800,000 loan, does it really make sense for you? What other debts and monthly expenses do you have, and are there critical life events coming up? Kim is right. Some young buyers become house poor. House poor is kind of a jargon term used to say, every month, all my money goes towards the house. You better like that house because you'll be spending a lot of your time in it and you won't be able to afford anything else. So young people are not really buying houses as quickly as they need to and lenders are aware of this. Thus, there are some new developments that will work for you. Remember in the last episode, I mentioned that depending on the type of mortgage you get, you'll need to put down a minimum of three to three and a half percent down payment. Most people don't have 20% to put down for a home mortgage anymore, but there's something great out there for you called PMI. Special shout out to listener Stefan S. from Delaware for noting that this should be called out. I totally agree. It's something he and his wife discussed diligently when deciding on how much to put down on their home. Most people probably don't have the money to shell out 20% to buy a home, especially if it's their first home. PMI stands for Private Mortgage Insurance. It's a type of insurance that may be required from your mortgage lender if your down payment is less than 20% of the home purchase price. PMI protects the lender against losses if you default, and the cost of PMI depends on your credit score and down payment, but generally it ranges from 0.3% to 1.5% of the original loan amount each year. Now that's an extra cost on the top of the mortgage that you'll be paying and your interest. If certain conditions are met, your loan servicer will automatically cancel your PMI when you hit a loan-to-value ratio, it's a measure of equity, of 78% of the original value of your home. However, you can call or write a letter to be asked if you hit 80%. Though you may be required to get a new appraisal, so determine if that's worth it. These cancellation rules do not apply to the mortgage insurance premium on FHA loans. So let's talk about an example of loan-to-value ratio. Mortgage balance, let's say you have a $240,000 mortgage, your house is appraising for $300,000, therefore your loan-to-value ratio is 80%, you can likely get rid of that PMI. PMI is not a lot of money, but it's an extra payment every month that you really get nothing in return for, but with interest rates being as low as they are, it's not the worst thing in the world. Another thing, Kim, is tons of states and cities have actually developed first-time homebuyer programs. Research those homebuyer assistance programs in your area and see if you're a good candidate. Other things for homebuyers to consider, remember those closing costs, relocation, inspection fees, escrow fees. Choose your agent wisely and get the right home insurance. Don't be scared to negotiate with sellers. They often want to get out of the house more than you want to get into it. Remember, are you in a stable career? And never forget to consider refinancing. My fiance and I bought our house at 3.85% in 2019. and February of 2021, we refinanced and are now at 2.7%. That savings from the refinance alone over the life of our mortgage is tens of thousands of dollars. If you have listened to episode one, Building a Budget and the Rules to Live By, 
maybe you're missing some key points that I've made. Assuming you've tackled other high interest rates, such as credit card or student loans, then you need to start making additional payments towards the principal of the home loan. Here's the beauty of amortization. Similar to student loans, find the balance you owe on your latest statement, your interest rate, and your payoff date estimate. Check your home loan terms. Ensure there are no additional fees associated with extra or early payments. Now let's try to eliminate some of that debt. Check this out. A couple of easy steps. Use a mortgage payoff calculator. I'll link one in the description that I recommend. Assuming you bought a $330,000 home, 3% interest for 30 years, and you put a 10% down payment or 30%. Over 30 years paid off in 2051, you will be paying Mr. Mortgage $455,322.83, assuming you made minimum payments on your $300,000 loan. Now, luckily, inflation and appreciation could work in your favor, but you are still giving Mr. Mortgage over $150,000 extra to take him, Mrs. Mortgage, and the family on a summer-long vacation in Europe. Remember, I said it was a $330,000 home with a $300,000 mortgage. You've paid over $450 for that mortgage. So that original payment amount is $1,264.81. What if I threw an extra $50 a month at it? Well, now I'm going to pay that house off two years and nine months faster, and you'll save over $10,000 of interest. That's just for $600 a year. Instead of monthly, you could ask your mortgage company for bi-weekly payments. It'll add one additional monthly payment a year. Remember, 12 times 4 is 48 weeks versus the 52 weeks that you could be considering. And you'll save almost three and a half years on your mortgage that way. But more importantly, you'll save over $20,000 of interest. That's just for one extra payment a year. If you have a sizable bonus or an annual tax return, you could always place it here. The euphoria that you'll feel when your mortgage is paid off is unexplainable. I can't wait till we're free of the monster on our back. Think about your mortgage payment. What would you do with that extra money every month? I'm sure you get the picture. I played around with our numbers personally and called my fiance over. We've made a plan to attack these debts. We can't wait to see it happen. We may even need to refinance again to get a 15 year plan going. So you can see the importance of understanding your mortgage and implementing strategies to avoid high interest. If you pay it off more quickly, you avoid the tremendous amount of interest you would end up paying the lender that's totally unnecessary. Do yourself a favor and find areas to cut back. You can apply those extra funds to your mortgage and watch it slowly disappear. If you'd like to learn more about amortization and home mortgages, I'll put a couple of helpful links in the description. And Kim, back to your question, we're gonna talk about the student debt crisis next week on Finance Fundamentals. Together, we'll own that road to financial freedom and I'm glad you're joining me for it. If you haven't given us a review on Apple Podcasts yet, please consider doing so. It helps people find the show and see your thoughts. If you'd like to support the show, you can do so right through Anchor. The link is at the bottom of the description. You can give a monetary donation monthly of $1, 5 or $10. You know you can find a dollar to support our show. 12 bucks a year? Come on. I know some of you spend more than that in a week at Starbucks. Every donation helps to improve our equipment, editing, and website build. Thank you for consideration. I want to hear from you. Have a topic you'd like discussed? A suggestion? You can contact me on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, email, and more. Check out the description for my link tree.
I look forward to hearing from you. The show is written and edited by me, produced and edited by Daniel Rue. A lot of work goes into these episodes, and we really hope you enjoyed them.